I always ask when I take half time, do you need the loo or do you need a cup of tea? John Newby, uh, I, because you're wearing an ICD, which is evidence in the last picture of the book. I mean, you're, you're four dimensional. Does it hold endless fascination for the kids now or are they used to it now? Yeah, it's pretty much part and parcel of life for me. It's the norm. It's been in for three years. It's a norm for me now. So yeah, that's that's the way it is, isn't it? You it gotta is. you gotta adjust adapt your life. ARVC, arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. So that thing for Brice Muamba, similar to what Muamba had and I do remember yeah. Antonio Puerta, the Seville player, passing away yeah. because of it. And it means that you have to wear this defibrillator inside you. There's scarring on your heart, which interrupts the rhythm of the electrical charge. And during the opera, it was horrible to read about how your heart, was it like 40 beats a minute? Uh, no, it dropped, to, it dropped to about 17 beats per minute at the start of the operation, which wasn't, uh, and obviously you're awake throughout it. So it wasn't, uh, it certainly wasn't pleasant in terms of what it goes to. I think it was about 241 beats per minute that it, that it shot up to. So yeah, I mean, you'd, you know, you, you know your heart's going fast, but you don't know exactly how fast it is. You kind of oblivious to that a little bit, but you certainly know when the ICD shocks you. It's you know, it's not, it's not pleasant. It's unbelievably powerful. Uh, it knocks you over. So, but at the same time, it does its job. It keeps you alive. It's uh, it, you know, it does what it's there to do. So, I'm not going to complain about it too much, if to be told. So you've had it in three years, so did you say it needs to be replaced every seven? Yeah, it'll be replaced about every seven to ten years, and then the leads that go through your veins to your heart, they have to be replaced about every ten years as well. So I know I've got, you know, plenty more heart surgery to come, but I also know I've got through it once, so, you know, there's no reason why I can't get through it again. Look, if you can get through half the crap you put up with in your professional life, then in your... And also, if you can get through Liverpool 4, Barcelona nil unscathed and the day before was it the day before the day after Glenn Glenn Hoddle was watching Tottenham do a similar thing against Uh, Ireland does does Hoddle have a defibrillator now do you know what I don't know Mm. I'm not sure I'm really not sure on that one because I know I'm not sure whether whether Glenn Hoddle had a cardiac arrest or a heart attack because obviously they're two very different things so I'm not sure whether his his uh, illness was due to this will sound a bit strange, but how the doctors describe it to me, the plumbing side of your heart or the electrical side of your heart. My problem is the electrical side of my heart, so uh, I'm not sure if his is the same as mine. Absolutely, and you will get automatic charge tonight uh, when you sing You'll Never Walk Alone uh, at Anfield against Manchester United. We're talking on the 19th of April. Um, I'm sure Manchester City fans don't know who to support tonight. Uh, Maybe they'll watch something else. They'll watch the um, Fulham game tonight. But one team that they cannot support in any capacity is Berry FC, who are no longer. And you are probably John Newby best known for your two spells at Berry. You joined a side who hadn't won in 14 games. You didn't even see your first goal. Was it filmed? Yeah, I've seen it back. Yeah, I've seen it back. But I didn't see it go in. And uh, was it Tomo who said it was a crap pitch? Yeah, that's what Phil Thompson had said to me. And it was... It was when I got there that I realised he was right. There was, a, I think, there was a rugby league team playing on the pitch at the time, yeah. and our groundsman Mike Curtis had his work cut out. He, he used to work night and day just trying to just trying to get enough sand on the pitch, never mind grass. Uh, and he did a brilliant job, actually, Mike, for for, for the state of the pitch. Um, but yeah, as I put the ball in the goal, I was I was snapped in half by I think it was Peter was centre half Andy Edwards, I think it was. Um, 
So yeah, my first goal in professional football, I never actually saw the ball cross the line. What a what a horrible nightmare and a horrible feeling. But I'm sure you did. You get a goal bonus that day. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't think I had a goal bonus at the time. No. I'll be honest with you, I was one of these people, if someone had given me a goal bonus, brilliant, but I was one of these people, I wasn't that bothered as long as I scored, uh, you know, money was never my, was never my goal anyway, scoring goals was, you know, was more important, so. I I don't know if that's got something to do with the fact that your dad worked at the local Ford plant, uh, and so reputation was more important than money and camaraderie, Um, was there any chance that you'd go into the same business, or was it? Did it close down in the eighties and nineties? No, it's it's still going now. I think it's, I think it's Jaguar now. Oh. Uh, is it Jack Land Rover? I think it was turned into. But no, I, I wanted to be a footballer. If I hadn't been a footballer, I would have done something in sport because I was, you know, I was so passionate about about sport and about football. But um, you know, once I left school and, and I signed that professional contract, you know, you go, you you, you, you like you say, you have got blinkers on. You just you're totally focused on on what you want to do. And the games that you played for Berry, was it 100 consecutive games or 110? Uh, I think I played 117 consecutive games, yeah. yeah. Um, which was tough going in them leagues on those pitches. And for the, the kind of the style of play that I had, where I was constantly running behind defenders and running into channels. But yeah, uh, that first spell at Berry in particular was, you know, was by far the happiest and the, and the best that I played in my career uh, for those two and a half years, that's for certain, yeah. I am of the opinion, and I think this is a theorem, not a theory, that the workplace is essential to a club doing well. It's no coincidence that Liverpool Football Club, it must be one of the best places to work in the country at the moment. Yeah, there's certainly some, some happy faces. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, if you're doing well, then, uh, you know, automatically, I think there's, there's, there's better team spirit, if you like, and togetherness. But I, I, at the same time, I think it's easy to be together and have a good team spirit when you're doing well. You know, the real test is when you're not doing so great. If you can keep that togetherness, then, you know, that's that's as important as, as any other time. Yeah. I was waiting for Neville Neville to show up, but he didn't. The late Neville Neville, who was the director of Bury. Did you have many dealings with Big Nev? Uh, I didn't know. I saw him about there a few times. And obviously, Jill Neville at the time was secretary throughout my time at, at, at Bury. Um, but no, I didn't. I didn't really have many dealings with Neville. No. Did you meet James Bentley at any point? I have met James. Yeah, I have met James. Um, nice fella. Speaks very well. Obviously, he's written a couple of books himself, hasn't he? So. And he he uh, came into the football library uh, a long time ago. I've been. Uh, this football library has been open for two years. Uh, there's probably every book that's ever been published by Pitch, and there's another one costing nineteen ninety nine. Addicted to football by John Newby. I like to use the line, does it pass the Vardy line? The Vardy line is, it was obvious that Jamie Vardy's agent was in the room when the book was written, because you can tell because he's mentioned every 10 pages. You came up against Mr Vardy. Um, and what it, what um, certainly the, the bits at Colwyn Bay reminded me is that it, it feels like he was describing Fleetwood Town. Fleetwood Town got promoted... Uh, through Andy Pilly's money, but also the team spirit. There were basically loads of self-proclaimed scallies from around yeah. the northwest. Um, yeah. Whereas Berry, you said it never felt like a job. I guess it came from Andy Priest, the player manager. Yeah, Priest was good in that respect. You know, he he, he gave us he gave us a freedom to play. He gave us um, he treated us as men, if you like. He, he cracked down when he needed to, but you know, he let us have our time together, and he was. 
yeah, he was a very good manager. He knew how to get the best out of me. And I would have liked to have seen him go on and, and, and manage other clubs, you know, in, in the football league, but he, he never really got that chance. But yeah, in terms of in terms of to get that particularly that season where we got to the playoffs, our team spirit and togetherness was was brilliant. And I just feel that you can gain so many points from that. You know, as particularly as a lower league club, you can gain you can gain ten points just on togetherness and team spirit. Mm. Um, Ad Boothroyd, when he took over at Watford, said, "Get on the bus, buy a ticket, get on the bus," and Watford were promoted. It ended really horribly. Um, but while we're on the topic of managers who should be managing at higher levels, Dave Challoner, what's he doing in League Two? Why isn't he in, in the Championship? Well, he's not in League Two yet, is he? He's still in the Conference of Stockport. Oh, but I think in my mind, Hartlepool are promoted. Don't think no, it. Hartlepool, yeah. No, it, I mean, Chow will, Chow will go on and manage at a high level. I've absolutely no doubt about that. I worked with Chow, uh, obviously, at Colwyn Bay. He was my manager. And then uh, I worked on, on his staff at AFC Fylde. Um, and then obviously, since then, he's gone on to Hartlepool and Stockport. Wherever he goes, success follows him. He's, he's again, he's another one who's, who's absolutely meticulous. His, his attention to detail is is unbelievable. His second to none. His work ethic is is brilliant. So yeah, I would I would be very surprised in the next five years if Charles isn't isn't managing at a high level, and and hopefully he will be because he's you know the work he's done over the years is, uh, for the lower league clubs has been brilliant. Yeah, every time I look at the lower levels of the football pyramid, he's at a different, wonderful club. I knew he got filed up to the conference, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, he got filed up. I think he got filed promoted, you know, maybe three or four times yeah. to get them up yeah, to yeah. the conference. So wherever he's gone, he's always done a good job. And, and I have absolutely no doubt that he'll continue to do that. And I love the fact that certainly at um, Colwyn Bay, his team had a long thrower. Yeah, you, 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 you couldn't have a child team if someone can't throw the ball <laughs> after they went to the pitch, but you so. I yeah. love that. Um, the less said about Dario Grady, the better. Get him off! Uh, and he did something. He comes out so badly in this book. And history will be the judge. I'm not going to ask you to comment because I value your, I value your opinion. It's all in the book and we're not going to repeat it. Buy the book to find out. Um, two figures come off very well. The late Billy Eyre and the not quite late Neil Warnock. Uh, so you can tackle both of those. Uh, who do you love more? Warnock or Billy Eyre? Oh, Billy, yeah, definitely. Um, it's actually, actually got sent something today, funnily enough. It's 20 years this week since Billy died. Is it? Um, yeah, I mean, that's gone so quick. I couldn't believe it was 20 years, gone so quickly. But yeah, I only worked with Billy for probably five months. And, you know, in that time, he, he, he was a giant of a man. Obviously, at the time, he was going through cancer treatment and none of us at the time knew, which tells you everything you need to know, that he's coming in and taking training in the morning and then, you know, he's going for treatment for that disease in the afternoon. But he just, he had such a presence about him. He he, he was another one where when he needed to get tough, he'd get tough because he was a very tough man. But he, he would have a laugh with you at the same time. And yeah, I just, uh, me and him just very, very quickly hit it off. And yeah, it was just, he, he was a great man as well as a great football man. Talking about Neil Warnock, Neil, Neil Warnock was everything you expect him to be, you know, when you see him on the telly or you see him, you know, you see him on interviews. I loved playing for him because he, he turned it into us against the world. Uh, that was that was what he wanted. He wanted a siege mentality. You know, he didn't want the kind of outsiders. He want, it was almost like he wanted people to dislike his team. He wanted people to dislike him. But in terms of being there together with him, he was very actually a very very likable, very likable fella. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I've got good, very good memories from from both those people. Yeah. 
the Gaffer is his book, written with Glenn Moore. He also wrote one about the four years at uh, QPR, some of the time at QPR. And if you want more yep. about Warnock, I imagine Paddy Kenny's book has lots about him. You played with Paddy at Berry. Yeah, I think Warnock took Paddy to every every club he ever went to. I think, I think, I think from speaking to Paddy, I think he, I think he, uh, some of the some of the other lads uh, often, you know, call call Neil Warnock Paddy's dad. Um, yeah. But yeah, what a you know, went on had a brilliant career in Premier League, in, in, you know, in the Premier League and in, in the, cha- the top of the Championship. But just a genuine, down to earth, likable fella. So yeah, he's, he's another person I played with. I got a lot of time for. He wasn't Neil Warnock's version of Jean-Michel Ferry, was he? No, no, Paddy's. I'm not sure Paddy's smart enough for that. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> don't if, tell if, him if, that. <laughs> if, if he's listening, to him, he won't mind saying that. But no, Paddy was. Uh, Paddy was a, uh, was a cracking fella, yeah. Jean-Michel Ferry was brought in by Ulier at Liverpool, kind of like Gilles Grimondi, kind of like the manager's eyes and ears in the dressing room. Process, yeah. That was certainly what we all thought as players anyway. Yeah. yeah. The dressing room, I'm, I don't think I could fit in a football dressing room because I can't stand the banter. Um, but I imagine it is a great place to be when it's going well. And if it isn't, uh, there's fisticuffs and there's there's punches thrown. Uh, there's information in the book about the time the bus broke down on the way to Reading, the time you turned down £10,000 to go to Oldham and yet are still called greedy. Uh, you end up getting booed by Berry fans. Do you think, I, I don't know if you care what Berry fans think of you now or former Berry fans think of you, but when you watched Berry get driven into the ground, did you feel for all the fans who had once watched you and chatted to you yeah without doubt I don't uh, I think as footballers what people forget is that we were all football supporters before we were football players you know from like say from an early age I was a Liverpool supporter and if anything happened happened to Liverpool I would be devastated so particularly a club like Berry that you know is only getting say 3,000 supporters to have your football club taken away I couldn't imagine that because to me, football's as important as anything in my life. You know, I see football as a way of life. I don't just see football as a game. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But football to me is a way of life. So uh, I live in Berry now and, you know, all my wife's family uh, are from Berry. So to see what it did to, or what it's still done to the community, where there's, there's now a lot of infighting between Berry AFC and Berry FC fans. It's awful, really, because at the end of the day, everyone supported the same team, and all of a sudden, that team's taken away from them through no fault of their own. So, yeah, it's, it, it was it was tough to see them go through that. And like I say, I had the happiest the happiest spell in my career at Berry. So, the last thing I wanted was for was for Berry to to struggle in the way that they have. I went to Berry. I visited a friend in Manchester, and we looked at who was playing at home, and it was Berry against Bradford. And there was a guy called Mark Marshall for Bradford. And I couldn't believe he was playing down there. And James Vaughan was playing for Berry. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Danny Meadowcroft would know him. I want to play Six Degrees of Meadowcroft at some point. I'll just name a player, like James Vaughan. Oh, I'll, I'll give you a story on him. He wouldn't just, you know, he wouldn't just say, oh, yeah, I remember him. So he'll give you a story on him. He was, he was one of them. Uh, he was an encyclopedia on every single player. Probably because he played for more clubs than I have. But, yeah, he... he he could give you a story on every player. Well, I tell you, you played for a lot of clubs. I was really delighted to talk to Lee Fowler because he was between jobs when I spoke to him because I, I had a look at the Coventry team, clicked on him, saw that he played for about 30 clubs and went, oh, there's a story there. Got in touch with him and there's a chat about his time at Coventry, his time at non-league um, as a coach. 
And it's, it's really illuminates my book from kids to champions, the history of the youth cup, which as this goes out, comes out next week, right. uh, by which yeah. time Liverpool will have played Everton and you will not have eaten all day. That's correct. Yeah. Nervous day on Sunday. Definitely. You're a grown man. No, no. Derby day is, you see now you ask any Liverpool supporter now, a modern day Liverpool supporter, then they'll say Liverpool v Man United is the big game. And, it, and don't get me wrong, tonight I can't wait to go. And I'll be nervous when the game's kicking off. But in terms of us old school, it was Liverpool v Everton. If you watch any of the highlights, you know, from Liverpool v Everton in the, in the late 80s or in the 80s and in the early 90s, and you see the, the passion of those games, you'll, you'll probably understand my take on it. Uh, Derby Day is a bad day in the South. Two FA Cup finals, 86 and 89. With Liverpool ever Yeah, and we won them both, but yeah. it didn't make me any less nervous. You must have eaten well those nights. So you actually get, John Newby, your football library card. And on your library card, you can have any the silhouette of any football figure. Um, I know you're not going to have Sammy McElroy, but who would you have? In terms of who I admire the most or who I would want to be, maybe? Or... Uh, or who you liked watching when you were younger? Oh, who I liked watching when I was younger, John Barnes, massively. Yep. Correct uh, answer. Roberto Baggio was, you know, when Italian football came on, was a massive hero of mine. Uh, could watch him play all day. And then as I got slightly older, uh, and, and you think about being a footballer yourself, Thierry Henry, I thought he was an absolute genius. That's um, interesting, because he went the other way. He was a winger converted into a striker. Yeah. Time, yeah. But in, yeah, in terms of those players, I mean, Barnes was here when he first came to Liverpool. You know, my word, he was unstoppable, wasn't he? He was unplayable. So, yeah, the... the They'd be the three that I've enjoyed watching so much. I mean, now you look at Liverpool's team, and I couldn't even I couldn't even pick you one player away because they're so so good. You know, you could, as a forward, you could say right, well, Salah, Firmino, Mane. But then you think about the other end, and you think about Trent, you think about the goalkeeper, you think about Van Dijk, Robertson, you know, Thiago. You know what a joy it is to watch yeah. someone like it, like Liverpool. So yeah, Thiago, who's like a Catalonian Jan Mulby. Yeah, yeah, Malby could pass the ball blinking out. Yeah. Thiago's yeah, was like that. But that, that little turn Thiago does, it's coming into him. And I think after midfielders that he's playing against know he's about to do it. Uh, and they still can't stop him from doing it. So, yeah, he's, mm. particularly this season, you know, he's been a joy to watch this and season. Supremely ironic because it was Guardiola who said, Get me Thiago. I don't want anyone else. I want Thiago at Bayern. And uh, he, I think he could do with him to replace Fernandinho this summer. I mentioned Lee Fallon because you played with him. Lee was at Huddersfield with me, yeah. You know, very good player, Lee, very good footballer, technically gifted. You know, probably lost his way a little bit in terms of being, you know, a bit of a wild child, if you like. But, yeah, he was always always a a good player to have in the dressing room and a good player to have in your team, yeah. Again, as a forward, used to love it if he was playing in midfield because his his passing ability was second to none. There are a couple of players who are mentioned in your book, Addicted to Football, My Journey from Anfield to Almost Everywhere, which, like, I mean, the, the ultimate praise I can give it is it's as good as Gary Nelson's books on the lower league I don't know if you played against Gary was he at, was he at, I could be wrong was he at Torquay yes yeah he was yes, he was at Charlton but yes he moved to Torquay he wrote two books left foot forward yeah. left foot in the grave and they were kind of the post fever pitch we need a footballer to write a football book and Gary's pair were really good okay it's an example of someone who um, just treat, like Eamon Dunphy's book, you, you treat football as a job. It's a job, it's a workplace, you've got to pay a mortgage. You have, I think your your eldest is in hospital with your wife, um, and so you, you get a given compassionate leave for that, and it's working it, uh, working around it. But enough of you, Bass Savage and Colin Kazim Richards. 
If Colin yeah. Kazim Richards could be signed for a quarter of a million, how much would you pay for the inconsistent Bass Savage? Not as much as Colin Kazim Richards. Yeah. They, they, they were pretty much chalk and cheese. I mean, Colin, Col was, he came to Berry when he was maybe 16, probably. Half the dressing room hated him. Half the dressing room, the rest of the dressing room could probably put up with him. I liked him. I liked Col. I liked his arrogance in terms of his confidence. And at the time, he probably was arrogant rather than confidence. Rather than confidence, sorry. The kid could play football, honestly. The, he, uh, with the ball at his feet, he was, he was brilliant, so strong, he was quick. So yeah, I had a lot of time for him. I like him, I liked his, I liked his confidence, I liked the way he stood up to, 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 to big players who had big opinions. So he probably did things, he would probably do things slightly differently now, I would, know, I, I would suggest that, you know, now that he's, he's older and more mature, but... Yeah, he was. He, he could play Colin. Baz Savage was 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 very different. He came on loan, Baz, and for half a game made a massive impact. But like I said in the book, you, you were, it was so difficult playing alongside him because he didn't know what he was going to do. Never mind you. So, but yeah, that's that's lower league footballers for you, isn't it? So I'm sure there's I'm sure there's plenty of supporters who said the same about me. So that's Absolutely. the way it is. The biggest discovery in this book is that you were responsible for bringing Frank Sinclair to Colwyn Bay. Do you still keep in touch with him? I speak to Frank now and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but actually, it's probably... I was responsible for signing him. It was probably probably my brother who was responsible for spotting him and giving me the, giving oh, me the yeah. heads up on him. Yeah. Because he was, he was playing for Hendon at the time, Frank. And my brother lives in London, uh, and he ground hops all over the place, goes to watch, goes to watch loads of teams, and... Um, and he, he knew that Frank was playing for Hendon because he, at the time he was working for Chelsea TV. So he, he travelled down to London and he'd do his TV work and then he'd play in the game and come home. But he was still based in the northwest. So yeah, I managed to get in touch with Frank, did the deal in the in the front seat of his car uh, outside of school where we used to train in Chester. And the rest is history, yeah. He came in and did really well for us. Yeah, he did, so he did. Uh, there's a great line in the second Mamma Mia film. It's called Karma. It's pronounced ha I suppose it's mean for Schadenfreude, but Colwyn Bay are now part of the Welsh system. They had consecutive relegations. They'd reached the pinnacle. The directors failed you. You say you failed. John Newby, you didn't fail. You succeeded enormously. Any rational person can see that you kept up a team with the lowest wage budget. Neil Warnock should have sent you some flowers in congratulation. But there was an example of just why I can't be a manager. I cannot be a football manager. And it's the Chris Sanna injury. Has that ever happened to your knowledge before, that when play went... Oh, well, it did. What happened was what happened to Virgil and Pickford. Yeah, 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 very similar. Things like that used to wind me up. You know, when you see, I don't know, you see a player getting booked for something innocuous and then another player will maybe throw in a horrendous tackle two minutes later and he gets the same punishment. Things like that wind me up in football. But, yeah, that was... I just found it crazy that, that you know, that day where where Chris gets injured and, and by the way it could have been a really really serious injury you know he was he was concussed and we lost him for probably the best part of three or four weeks or whatever just because a linesman doesn't put his flag up yeah, I, no I just found I, it's still, I can still picture it I can still picture it I can see where I was stood I can see the lad running towards him and I'm thinking they're, they're going to clash heads they're going to smash into each other and then eventually the linesman puts his flag up and yeah things like that wind me up so next question we better move on next question hey uh, well, we're coming to the end because you've got to get ready for Anfield. Do you have a routine when you go to watch the team? Not really, no. You know, there's no, there's no lucky pants or anything like that. So the, the, the only thing that I've got to make sure to do is I need to get in there 
uh, on time to make sure I can sing. You'll never walk alone. Absolutely. That's, that's, oh, that's always the way it's been since since I went with my dad and then my brother and now my son. You know, we make sure we're in there to sing that, and as long as I sing that before the game, that'll that'll uh, give me a bit of confidence. Yeah. Now. I'm going to link two anecdotes in the book. Roberto Martinez, who's now in charge at Belgium, nearly broke your leg. And talking about superstitions, David James was next to you in the locker room when you were playing first-team football at Liverpool. He was just a, he was just a crazy character, James. All goalkeepers are. I don't know a goalkeeper that isn't. You know, we spoke about Paddy Kenny before... I spoke about Ian Dunbavin in the book, but yeah, Jamo was the biggest character that you know you'd, you'd ever come across in football. So it was kind of chalk and cheese because I'm sat next to him, really quiet, just got in the first team squad, and then you got Jamo next to me, you know, talking about seeing aliens land in his garden the night before. So yeah, it was uh, that was an interesting time. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And and the manager of Belgium. Yeah, it's it was like I say, he was I was playing for Wrexham at the time. He was playing for Chester, and he put in a. a what I thought was a really naughty tackle on me, so it always used to bring a smile to my face every time Liverpool beat Everton when he was the manager. Uh, <laughs> it gave me a, a, bit of, a bit of extra comfort on Derby Day, that one. Absolutely. The book is Addicted to Football, My Journey from Anfield to Almost Everywhere, and that includes tonight, Anfield. I have one quick question, and um, it, con- it concerns a game in which you scored against Fulham. I wonder how many nationalities you can name of the Fulham eleven who started the game. I have absolutely no idea. French, obviously. Spanish, I really struggle. No, really what? Struggle. in fact, neither of those are on the card. There was no French player playing for Fulham. Not on the pitch at the start. I think Sava came on. Wow, I'd never guessed that with Tigana in charge. Yeah. Uh, oof. Well, Dutch? No, no, it's a bit of a cheat because Barry Hales... Played for Jamaica. Oh, OK, OK. But I think he's very English. England, Scotland, Mike Taylor of Northern Ireland, Steve Finnan of Ireland, uh, a Welshman, yeah. Wame was Cameroonian, there was a Moroccan, yeah. Inamoto, Japanese, there was a Dane, and a Latvian. Wow. There was no French player playing? I'd never guessed that. Yeah, so you can, you can impress... And by the way, do you get recognised at Anfield? Do people know who you are? No, no, no. No, I only, I, you know, I only played four games, so... Um, hey, that's four more games than everyone else in that stadium. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but, you know, it's... Uh, I think I think in terms of in terms of that, anyway, you know, people like myself and, and people who are connected to, to Liverpool are, you know, are pretty, pretty humble and, you know, that kind of thing, so I certainly don't shout about it from the rooftops, but, you know, I enjoy, obviously I enjoyed my career and... and and playing for Liverpool was a, was a massive part of that. And I hope Liverpool fans do pick up this book because a lot of Liverpool players, well, there's two big ones, Gerard and Carragher, who have written about the Julien Benitez era. But while Julien Benitez were winning trophies, you were helping Bury stay in the Football League. And this book, Addicted to Football, it's a wonderful story. Have your kids read it yet? They've started it, yeah. They've started it. Um, I mean, that's, that, that's what it was initially for, you know, when they're older. I want them to understand, you know, what what kind of career I had. I think the book's very honest. Uh, I think it's very open in, in everything that happened in my career. So, yeah, I think it, once they're older and they understand, they maybe understand things a little bit more. It'd be really interesting for them to see what the dad did. Yeah. Look, if I was Alex Inglethorpe or Steve Highway or Hugh McCauley, I would prescribe this as reading. I'd give this in with the scholarship deal that you get at sixteen, because it's certainly it would make pitch publishing some money, uh, but also it would. Uh, show that one of the 
Class of 96 that no one calls that Liverpool team, a Youth Cup winner, uh, John Newby. Uh, who's thank you for writing this book and uh, thank you for taking time out of your football addiction your stupid addiction to something that is the glue that holds your life together so I hope this hasn't yep. been too stressful talking about yourself for the last hour no no problem at all thanks for having me that's wicked enjoy tonight brilliant thank you that's like a library. That's like a library.